I hope you don't mind having that hymn when it's not Easter. <laughs> We're going to look at the Lord Jesus Christ raising a man from the dead. I thought it was highly appropriate to take that to its logical conclusion and sing that hymn. This morning we're going to be considering the raising, raising the widow of Nain's son. Raising the widow of Nain's son. And that's Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through to 17. You may recall, if you cast your mind back to last Sunday, that we considered the healing by the Lord Jesus Christ of a centurion's slave. The slave was sick and ready to die. This morning, we shall look at the passage that can be found immediately after, and we shall consider Jesus not so much healing a man who was ready to die, but rather raising to life a man who was dead and his corpse was in a briar, a briar. In other words, in an open coffin. He is one of four people on record in the New Testament of having been raised up from the dead by the Lord Jesus Christ. You're sitting there figuring out who those four people are now. We're going to go through them. There was the young daughter, the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. She'd only just died when Jesus raised her. In today's passage, Jesus raises the widow of Nain's son, whose funeral was taking place at the time. Thirdly, Jesus raised Lazarus. He'd been dead for four days, his funeral had already taken place, and he was in his tomb. But most wonderful of all, the Lord Jesus Christ raised himself from the dead on the third day, having sacrificially laid down his life at the cross for those he came to save. If you want to switch, put the switch on for the, for the next door. First of all, we see death and weeping in our passage. Look again at chapter 7 of Luke's Gospel, verses 12 and 13. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. Two weeks ago, during our Sunday evening service, we were looking at Genesis chapter 23. The death and burial of Sarah was considered and also the weeping of her husband Abraham. In this morning's passage, a widow is seen to be weeping at the funeral of her only son. It goes to show that death is unquestionably sad It's a painful occasion, even when the bereaved people are trusting in the promises of God for the forgiveness of sins and for everlasting life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only for themselves, but also for their dearly departed. That was seen to be the case with the death 
of Sarah and the weeping of her husband Abraham who had received the promises of God of of blessings, salvation blessings. Even so, he wept. Death is truly horrible and that is because it is the consequence of sin. When God had finished his creative handiwork on the sixth day and he saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good, there was no death. Death came later when by one man, that man being Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin. Like many others, I have suffered the loss of family, I've suffered the loss of very good friends and that final goodbye is never a happy time. Even if they have gone to be with Jesus, which is far better. If you haven't mourned the death of a loved one yet, your time will come and you'll find it to be a most unpleasant experience. As I said two weeks ago, I even mourned the death of my dog back in 2020. In fact, that was one of the saddest times of my life, losing my dog. We can only assume that the widow in our passage was utterly grief-stricken that she was overwhelmed with tears and sadness at the death of her only son, having already lost her husband. Secondly, Jesus was moved with compassion. Look again at our passage, verse 13 and 14. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the briar, And they that bear him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14, it can be seen that on another occasion, Jesus went forth, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion towards them and he healed their sick. Here in verse 13, we're told that Jesus had compassion on the widow whose son had died but once again what is meant is that Jesus was moved with compassion according to the original Greek therefore Jesus was moved deep within himself with love and pity for that weeping woman I needn't remind you that we're talking about the incarnate son of God here God moved with compassion We have a God of compassion. There are many passages in the Bible that speak of the Lord Jesus Christ being moved with compassion. For example, on one occasion, Jesus fed more than 4,000 people with just seven loaves of bread and a few small fishes. According to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 32, Jesus said to his disciples, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Also Jesus spoke in his parables about being moved with compassion. For example, he spoke about a man who was attacked by thieves who stripped him of his clothes 
and they departed, leaving him half dead. A priest came along, and the priest did nothing to help him. Likewise, a Levite, who was someone who assisted the priests, he came along, and he did nothing. But then a Samaritan, the Samaritan was a type of Jesus, came along and Jesus said that when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound him up, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And of course that parable is all about the Lord Jesus Christ, how he comes to us, not when we're half dead, but when we're dead, as we're going to see much more of in this sermon, dead in trespasses and sins. He comes to us and he, he, he pours in that, the, the wine and the oil. He brings us to repentance and he soothes us with the gospel. And he saves us to the uttermost. All who come to him in faith. In today's passage, Jesus, being moved with compassion for the woman, said to her, weep not, which was an expression of his compassion. And then his compassion was seen when he came to the open coffin and raised the dead man to life. Jesus said to him, young man, I say unto thee, arise. Consequently, the dead man sat up, he began to speak, And he was delivered to his mother, who was no doubt now weeping with ecstatic joy. Thirdly, Jesus raised the dead. In the previous passage, the centurion, who had heard about Jesus, sent the Jewish elders to him. The elders then pleaded with Jesus on behalf of the centurion to come and heal the centurion's dying slave, who was dear unto him. Jesus then went with them and he healed the slave. Therefore, what we saw in that passage was that the Lord Jesus Christ withheld his favour until such time he was sought. And the focus was largely on the faith of the centurion who sent for Jesus, believing that Jesus was able to heal his faith. However, in today's passage, faith doesn't get a mention. It's not really about faith. The young man was not dying, he was dead in a coffin. And no one had sought the Son of God, no one had come to him, but he came anyway. And he raised the dead man to life when he said to him, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And the young man was obedient to the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. God even created everything by his word. As it is written in Psalm 33 and verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Also the Son of God upholds and sustains everything by the word of his power. Therefore God created and sustains everything by the utterance of his divine 
power. Likewise, in our passage, God spoke and it was done. The Lord Jesus Christ uttered the words, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And the dead man was obedient to God's command. We see much the same thing in John chapter 11 with the raising of Lazarus. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And to the twelve-year-old daughter of Jairus, Jesus said, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked. Can you see there's power in the word of God? The Lord Jesus Christ raised all of them by the utterance of his divine power. By way of application, when you consider the centurion in the previous passage, hearing about Jesus, sending the Jewish elders to plead with Jesus to heal his dying slave, in a similar way, a Christian is someone who has come to God in prayer and has pleaded to be saved from his sins, and God has graciously and wonderfully saved that person who has come to him in repentance, crying out for mercy. Like the tax collector in the temple who smote his breast. He couldn't even look up to heaven. He just smote his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that man went home justified. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And in John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. All that the Father have given me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. In those verses we have assurances of forgiveness and everlasting life from the Son of God to all who come to him, where coming to him means believing in him. Believing that he was nailed to a cross and lifted up to die, bearing away their sins. However, just as we see in today's passage, a man who was stone dead. Every one of you is dead in trespasses and sins unless God has graciously raised you up to spiritual life. All you dear Christians in here know a thing or two about being raised up to spiritual life. That is your testimony, isn't it? And praise God for that. (laughs) You have a testimony about how you came to God in prayer, pleading for mercy, having previously had no interest whatsoever in the Saviour's blood. Maybe there's someone in here today who's, who's the same, maybe more than one person who's just thinking, what they're going to be doing tomorrow or even later on this afternoon. No interest in the Saviour. 
But now, by the grace of God, you, dear Christian, you have a testimony of being forgiven all your sins and that you have everlasting life. For all that, your testimony is not so much about how you came to Jesus, but that Jesus moved with compassion, came to you, and he saved you by his grace. That really is your testimony, isn't it? How God came to you. Your testimony is that you were once dead in trespasses and sins, but God graciously raised you up to spiritual life. You are born again, born again, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Therefore, what did not happen with you is that one day, when perhaps you were reading about the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel, or maybe you were hearing a gospel message being preached, that the word of God finally came alive. That's not what happened. The word of God liveth and abideth forever. What actually happened was that God made you alive. He didn't make the word alive. He made you alive. He opened your heart to attend to the truth, his truth. He granted you repentance and he filled your heart with faith in the finished work of redemption of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust that is your testimony. Before we move on, we see in verse 14 that not only did the Lord Jesus Christ command the dead man to rise, but Jesus also touched the coffin. Although I don't suppose he really needed to do that. I say that because it's not as if Jesus touched Lazarus's tomb when he said, Lazarus, come forth. I like what John Calvin said about Jesus touching the dead man's open coffin. Calvin said, by touching the coffin, he intended perhaps to show that he would by no means shrink from death and the grave in order to obtain life for us. He not only deigns to touch us with his hand in order to quicken us when we are dead, but in order to, in order that he might raise us to heaven, himself descends into the grave. Fourthly, we can consider the miraculous works of Jesus that showed him to be the Christ. Whether we're talking about Lazarus or the twelve-year-old damsel or the young man in today's passage or anyone else for that matter, when Jesus moved with, compa- moved with compassion, healed the afflicted and raised dead people to life, and when he performed various other miraculous works, he was showing himself to be the Christ who had been promised in the Old Testament. And so it was that when John the Baptist was in prison and he sent two of his disciples to Jesus, And they asked Jesus the following question, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus said to those two disciples of John the Baptist, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. 
the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So what we have in our passage with the Lord Jesus Christ having compassion on the grieving widow and raising her son to physical life is one of many demonstrations by Jesus that he is the Christ, the son of the living God who who raises people up to everlasting life, people who are dead in trespasses and sins. Just want to. It just reminds me, if I can find it, in John's Gospel, towards the end of that, what John says, the apostle. Ah, yeah. John the apostle. He said in his gospel, many other signs. In other words, many other miraculous works. Truly, did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. This is in verse 30 of John 20. So start again. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Can you see it there? All those miraculous works where Jesus truly did have compassion, he was moved with compassion, and he did various miraculous works, such as raising the dead, feeding multitudes, and casting out demons, and so on. These are carefully preserved and recorded in the scriptures, so that you might read about Jesus and his miraculous works, and see that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that you might come to him, repenting of your sins, and receive him as your Saviour from sin. As we come to a close, I'd like to consider with you the following. We've seen that the raising up of dead people by the Lord Jesus Christ, points to a spiritual truth, a spiritual reality. Jesus raising up spiritually dead sinners. And all true Christians are able to testify that they are born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The good news is that God is still raising people up to everlasting life. As Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 25, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is, so he was speaking about present tense there, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Furthermore, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again in judgment, As he has promised to do, he will raise everyone from the grave and he will do so by the word of his power. He will command everyone to rise, speaking about a time that is still to come. 
Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming. He didn't say the hour is coming and is now come. He just said the hour is coming. In the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So it's all about doing good. They that have done good to the resurrection of life. They that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. This is Jesus speaking about the, that last day when he comes again in judgment. And by the, by the word of his power, he will raise everyone up from the grave. Everyone will be gathered before him in judgment. But what's this all about, this doing good? Because they're the ones who will be raised up to the resurrection of life. This is what I'm interested in. When it comes to doing good, the very best thing that you can do is to come to the Lord Jesus Christ as a repentant sinner, believing that he was wounded and bruised and punished and put to death as he carried the guilt and the shame of your sins at the cross, having perfectly kept God's law on your behalf throughout his time in the world and even in his death. As it is written, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Without doing that very best thing that you can ever do, trusting in Jesus as a repentant sinner, everything else that you do is unacceptable to God. To God, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, that's coming to Jesus, believing in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen.